Welcome to Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey to a Fulfilled Life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR executive and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. You know, Sherry and I have been talking about really how to launch this podcast, and we thought we would continue the discussions that we've been having already with you, talking about our own journeys. And I think, Sherry, this really came up partly as a result of a movie we both love, and I just finished watching for about the millionth time last night, Sliding Doors. Yeah, I too have watched it for about a million. I think I'm up to a million and one times on it, actually. Also one of my favorite movies because it's so relevant to so much of all of our journeys in life. I think that's so true. It's For those of you that haven't seen it, a little spoiler alert, we are going to talk about the movie a little bit today. Uh, really in context of talking about our own journeys and inviting you to think about your own journeys as well. So just to set the pretext a little bit, it's an older film. It has Gwyneth Paltrow sort of sporting a British accent. And in one scenario, she makes the train, the doors close behind her. In another scenario, she misses the train and the doors close right in front of her. And then the movie follows her path down those two different roads as if she had made the train and as if she had not made the train. And Sherry, you know, I've talked a lot about this, about how many kind of sliding door moments we probably have in our own lives. Yeah. I mean, what I so love about the movie is this particular situation. There could be a million times where she has missed the train or caught the train and it makes no difference whatsoever. But in this particular case, and again, another spoiler alert, in the scene where she catches the train, she gets home, she walks in on her boyfriend in a way you don't ever want to walk in on your partner. In the scene where she misses the train, she gets mugged. It holds her up long enough that by the time she gets home, this other woman has just left the premises. She walks in and thus starts two very, very different paths that her life goes down. And it's interesting, Sherry, because you said any other day, it may not make a difference, but I actually disagree with you there. I think that's the whole point is that on any given day, there's a sliding door moment and it's almost a choose your own adventure. You either go down one path or the other. You just don't know what path you might have missed or that you might have taken. It is. It's so true. And all these little differences can add up. What I'm really fascinated by is being able to look back on my own life and see those moments where I can point to something really profound that happened as a result of a particular interaction. And there's a million ways that interaction might not have happened. That's and right. So, and, and we'll talk about our own sliding door moments a little bit later in this podcast, but it's just such a fascinating concept to both of us. Absolutely. And I think that we can look back and we can recognize when we had a sliding door moment, but I'm wondering, you know, there's kind of no way to know any other moments that happened that we, we don't know what the alternative could have been, right? We just don't know when we missed that flight or we're five minutes late because we were petting the dog or something. Like we just, we don't know. And I find that endlessly fascinating that, that our worlds could move or change just by the, the door closing or the petting of the dog or <laughs> what have you. I think the other thing to me that's so fascinating about this is we all have just tons and tons of random interactions as we move through our life. A little bit less now in the middle of a pandemic, right? We have a whole lot fewer, <laughs> true. fewer random interactions, but you know, in our prior lives and hopefully in our like 
you know, normal lives going forward, we have a lot of random interactions and many of them really are just random interactions. You know, the person you're chatting with while you're waiting in line at the grocery store or the person you get into an elevator with and then get out of the elevator with. And I'm also so fascinated by how some of those random interactions turn out not to be so random and not to be so just one time. And it just, it's all part and parcel of the same thing, which is what you just said, Anne, is we just don't ever know. That's right. We, we just don't know exactly what's sitting in front of us, despite our sense of, of course, I know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. Right. And of course, we generally don't, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So one of the things that is so interesting in this movie is that in the scene where she walks in on her boyfriend, it is a giant wake-up call. We've gotten clues in the earlier scenes that eh, she's got some discomfort in some of the ways that he interacts in their relationship and just a relationship overall. But she buys his explanations and she shoves it down and she just continues on with her ordinary life uh, or with her day-to-day -day life. And in the scene where she walks in, it's the wake-up call. She cannot ignore what's in front of her face. In the scene where she doesn't walk in, it plays out where she continues to have the doubts and it's very easy for her to stay unconscious. That's right. And I think, I think that that's really the beauty and the message of this movie. There's so much in here about listening to your, your own instinct, your own internal wisdom for her in the two different sort of scenarios. She had a lot of pain until she did. She eventually had another wake up towards the end of the movie, but she really had a lot of pain. And yet Sherry, to your point, while there wasn't the dramatic wake up call, there were these whispers throughout the, the movie. And I think to me, I walk away from this film and it feels like an invitation to pay more attention to those small moments. And in this case, it was a guy that was cheating and, you know, it was a, it was a pretty sort of easy vehicle for a romantic comedy, if you will. And yet for me, it, it is just so much deeper and more meaningful. And sometimes to your point, we get that kind of slap upside the head thing. And sometimes we get these little itty bitty tiny instincts and then we push them down for one reason or another. And, and by the way, it's not to say that either path is better or worse, frankly, because at the end of the day and the film, because of course it is a romantic comedy, it sort of ends up in, the, in a very similar place in both stories. I think part of it is, is that we, we cause ourselves some pain and we cause ourselves some anguish sometimes because we do ignore those little signals. And this particular one was a negative one, but sometimes it's positive ones too, right? Like we get little positive signs about take this job or consider, you know, starting a new hobby or habit or something, whatever. And yet it's pretty easy to ignore because we're busy and we're going about our normal day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, it's so, it's, it's so true. We can't take every single moment of every single day, right? And evaluate it. Is this That's an right. important moment? Is this an important moment? We'd all lose our cookies, right? If we That's did exactly. that. And so, so this is, I think, a good segue for us to talk a bit about our own journeys and where we've had these wake-up calls ourselves or where we have stayed a little unconscious. And do you want to kick us off, Anne? Yeah, sure. You know, in, in some ways, I think about my life as a little bit like the character that Gwyneth plays, right? I was sort of going along. Things were like kind of normal and fine. There was nothing in my life. There's no, It's not like I, you know, I had a great childhood. I went to good schools, all of that. And yet I just had this little kind of inkling that something could be a little bit more, right? I just, 
I just remember being a little bit intrigued by kind of, I don't know, I'll call them the mysteries of life, but I didn't even know where to start. I was raised in a fairly kind of waspy family in a smaller town in Northern California. And I went to UCLA and then to onto Wisconsin for grad school. And along the way, I picked up a huge love of travel and I've had lots of great opportunities to travel. As a matter of fact, I can think of a couple of sliding door moments. And Sherry, I know you've had some of these too, where I would run into somebody like in Rome or my aunt on the tarmac at JFK and I lived in California and she lived in Nashville. It's yeah, funny, had, right? It's, it's crazy when it happens. I always go to the place of what are the statistical odds? I had one in Paris. I had one in Amsterdam. Right. Uh, I, had, I had one in New York City, right? And it's, I always go to the place of what are the statistical odds that we are both in the exact same place at the exact same moment and how crazy that is. It, it, it's random to me. And yet I do think that this is the way of the world. And for each of those moments, I, I now think of them as opportunities to stop and reflect, right? So when you see your friend in Paris, when I saw my aunt on the tarmac at JFK randomly, you know, now I really take the opportunity to reflect and think, huh, is there a meaning in that? Is there something I'm supposed to take from that? Is there a is there a lesson here or something? For you, you're moving along in your life and you've always been interested in the mysteries of life, as you would say. Was there a moment that that whisper of just wanting to think about life a little bit differently? Is there a moment where that whisper happened for you? You know, I think so, right? Because I, I was, as I was saying, I was kind of going around my kind of normal life. I started a, a career in HR. I I was sort of doing everything you do in HR. And I, I, I did have a huge interest in sort of personality assessments, Myers-Briggs and DISC, StrengthsFinder. And, and it all felt like I was kind of just nibbling around the edges of sort of something different. And then I remember somebody gave me a tape and I really think it was a tape. That's how long ago this was. And it was by an author named Carolyn Mays. And I think it was the first time I really heard somebody talking deeply about thinking about life a little bit differently. And that book was Anatomy of the Spirit. And I remember I had I'd somewhat rejected kind of traditional religion. I don't want to offend anybody here, but it just, it just wasn't kind of for me. And I hadn't sort of found my spot in religion. And at first this book seemed a little focused there. And I just thought, I don't know if this is, if this is the right thing for me, but I remember being on a long drive and I stuck it in my tape deck in my car back in the probably, I don't know, early 2000s or something. And I just sort of let her words kind of wash over me. And I felt more of a calm in myself that was a little unfamiliar. And I think, I mean, there's a lot of interesting lessons, but one of the main ones, and it's something we were just kind of talking about that felt like an aha or a little bit of an awakening was that things kind of happen for a reason. And to your point, we can't be all systems go paying attention all the time on all fronts, but I find it especially comforting when I'm in a stressful situation. The flight is late. The line is long at the grocery store. There's a ton of traffic. When I find myself in those kind of slightly more personally frustrating situations, one of the things that Carolyn May says is these are happening for a reason. And part of our job is to figure out what that is. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, she has this really great quote or a really great question around things happening for you. 
Right. And I, I'm not even sure if it's her or who it is, but there's just this, there's this idea that there's always an opportunity in whatever is happening. That doesn't mean it's happening for a good reason. It might not mean it's happening for a bad reason. Sometimes, like most of the time, things are just happening, right? Sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're good, but mostly they're just happening. And just this idea of there's an opportunity in here for me somehow. That's right. And and it and it's like a choice, right? So I think the quote you're thinking of is instead of thinking about why is this happening to me, to consider why is this happening for me? Yeah, that's it. And, and I, I think back to even sort of my darkest days, right? And it's such a calming kind of reminder, right? Like last time I talked a little bit about my divorce and my dad's eventual passing. And I'm grateful for the, even the pain of my divorce, but I'm grateful because it gave me that time to be near and you know closer to my dad. And I think about just this as a overall softening. So it's not only why is this happening for me, but that we're part and parcel and connected to something larger in the universe. And, you know, one of the, I think, positive byproducts of what I learned from that book is, is really a deepening in my friendships. You know, I had gotten through life, still do in a lot of ways, but kind of muscling through and, and being tough and, you know, and I can, I can make it happen on my own. And, you know, as I started to explore post that book, Carolyn Mays's book, there were other books that she wrote and other books that I got interested in it was really a, you know, an opportunity to kind of dive deeper into spiritual practices and learn more about myself and, and others. And I'm curious, I mean, I have more of my story, but I'm, I'm curious, Sherry, if this is a place to talk about, did you have sort of an awakening at some point? I did. I, I had a very early one from a very unexpected, early in my career from a very unexpected place. And I'll just put a, a little bit in context is I started my career as a CPA. And the reason I started there was because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I was a psych major for two years in college and I succumbed to a lot of pressure around what are you ever going to do with that? And I liked math, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with math. And I took an accounting class. I'm like, oh, this is this is easy. This comes naturally to me. And I could always get a job, right? And so it is me and a million other people have a similar story to this. And so I went down a very practical path and started out in a big public accounting firm. And what was very interesting is they had a, this was within my first 12 months. And they did a weekend personal development seminar, which the time I worked there, the four and a half years I worked there, they never did anything else remotely similar. So it would talk about one of those random things showing up. And it was led by a retired Marine. So here's this guy like ramrod straight, you know, buzz cut, leading this personal development weekend. And it was a moment that was just so life-changing for me because I remember very little about most of the content in there, but he talked about how the only person you can change is yourself. And that was like a revelation to me. And partly that was a revelation because I grew up in a family where there was a lot of messages around, if only you would do this, or if only she would do this, then everything would be good. And so I grew up with this perspective around other people changing would make your life better or other mm -hmm. people changing would make my life better, right? right? Or my life easier or my life more fulfilling or whatever. And it, it was just such a shift of, oh yeah, right. That's so obvious, 
right? I am the only one I have any control over. And so if I'm not happy with something, I have to change it. Or if something's not working for me, I have to figure out like, what is my role in this? So that was, that was my first moment. And it was just such an unexpected place. Now, I would like to say that that moment was so profound. I went straight from, you know, sort of unconsciously moving through life to profoundly awake, but that would not even remotely be true. <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. No, <laughs> no, that's not. Well, that's not how it worked in my life. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's how it worked in someone else's life. Well, what did you see in terms of changes though, right? So it wasn't an overnight, everything completely changed, but did you start noticing things differently when you realized you could change only yourself or really only control yourself? I did. So the first place where it really made a huge difference is I was living with my college boyfriend. We had moved in together after college and super, super great guy, still a good friend, really, really nice guy. And it was pretty clear to me that while we were in college, we seemed to have a ton in common. I graduated and went to work right in, in public accounting. He graduated and went into a PhD program. And these very different environments we found ourselves in really surfaced some fairly significant differences in what we wanted out of life. Yeah. But super, super, super nice guy. And I wasn't very happy. And it was it was pretty clear to me that things were going to have to change. And so the shift for me was, oh, I need to really think about this in the context of, can I be happy in this situation or do I have to change something? And it was a really hard decision because it wasn't a contentious relationship at all, right? And it wasn't, had nothing to do with this is not a nice person. But that was an early, and it took me a while to actually act on it. But that was where I really had my first experience of if this, if this isn't really working for me, I have to let go of any expectations of if only he would do XXX. Right. And this would be great. Right. It's so much easier, isn't it? To sort of like point the finger and say, oh, if only he would be this. But, but truly, we are only in control of ourselves. Exactly. And I think it is, you know, sort of an opportunity for kind of reflection and kind of getting curious about what's actually happening in our own lives, right? As opposed to uh, sort of just, you know, I'm guessing, Sherry, I didn't know this guy, but I'm guessing you could have hung out with him for a while or maybe even a lifetime and and it would have been okay, right? But I think you were looking for more than okay. Well, that's exactly right. Even though I couldn't have articulated it like that, I... You know, I look back on that and I think you're absolutely right that there was nothing bad, right? There were there were no like screaming red flags or he was a really good guy. He's still a really good guy. Yeah. And it would have been very easy to just roll into, all right, we've been living together for a few years. You know, let's talk about getting married because that's kind of like was the mindset a few decades ago, uh, more than a few decades ago. And I do wonder, would I have spent my life in a relationship that was never like deeply satisfying or would I have like, you know, 10, 12, 20 years later ended up making the decision or either one of us? I mean, certainly I do believe that it's really hard for one person to be ecstatically happy and the other person to be unhappy, Sure. right? So I don't want to make this sound like, oh, he was like, you know, 
over the moon and I was the one who was not satisfied. And so. Sure. Yeah. But the, but the opportunity or the, the kind of awakening that that Marine sort of helped you with, right. Was to sort of see, yeah, I get to, I have choices here. Right. And, and not only choices, like, should I stay with this guy or not, but also choices like I choose to be happy. I choose to have independence, right. You know, that there's, we have these choices and it's, it's a little bit about understanding there's always a different perspective, right? And, and in this case, he was a nice guy. So it wasn't the sliding doors moment with our friend Gwyneth when she walked in on her boyfriend with this other woman. It was more quiet and subtle and an opportunity kind of for yourself to reflect in some ways. Well, I think what's interesting is the sliding door moment was me signing up for that weekend, Sure. Right. I mean, right. I hadn't really thought about that before is that had I not signed up for that weekend, you know, I'd like to think I would have ultimately gotten to that place of recognizing I can only control myself. But I'm really happy that I had that first like kind of, oh, my God moment when I was 23. Yeah. It's sort of like I'd call it an accelerator right? Because we have these like small moments all the time that sometimes we catch and sometimes we miss, but there are times in our lives when we have an accelerator moment. So your accelerator came with the Marine. Mine started with Carolyn Mays. And then Sherry, I know there was a really deeply sad accelerator moment in your life as well. Oh yeah. Because my accelerator moment at 23 did not mean that my work was done. Right. So yeah. let's just be super, you know, super clear on that. So the very short story on this is that I had moved on from public accounting. I was in the financial services industry. Um, I grew up in Southern California. I had been in LA and I had taken a job with a company in DC and it was, this was going to be my big grand adventure. And even that was a, a sliding door moment in and of itself, which is there was just this bizarre set of coincidences that happened around that. And under normal circumstances, I would have never taken that job. But because of just the insane coincidences around it, I decided I'm supposed to do this, right? I'm supposed to do this. Went on the interview, bunch of red flags. And I was just very out of character for me. Like, nope, I'm convinced I'm supposed to do this. So I'm going to do this. And it turned out that... <laughs> Me being in this job was not the reason this was all happening, although I was still convinced that I had made the right decision. I was really unhappy. I, I was just really unhappy in the job, and I had never been profoundly unhappy in any of my jobs. And that period of time coincided with my best friend getting AIDS and moving into the process of dying from AIDS. And... I spent the last three months of his life traveling back and forth from DC to San Francisco to spend time with him, to help. And I was very, very unhappy, very unhappy and feeling very stuck in my job. And we're having a conversation. This was two weeks before he died. And he was, he was at home and he was talking about wanting to discontinue his treatments, but being terrified that he'd actually get worse. And which was just unimaginable because he had absolutely no quality of life left. And I had this, I describe it as I had this moment of feeling like the hand of God came down and smacked me on the side of my head with a two by four 
And I had this moment of, oh my goodness, this is what it looks like to be down to your last choice in life. Paul has no choices left, not even a choice of what to eat or what to wear, not even the most mundane choices in life. This is what it looks like to be down to your last choice. And I'm acting like I don't have any choices. I'm in this job. I'm struggling with, I work a ton. I don't know how I'm going to do. I wanted to get back to LA. I don't know how I'm going to do a job search on the other side of the country when I'm working this much. I had a million reasons why I had myself very, very stuck. And in that moment, I just, I will never forget that moment. I had my laptop with me and, you know, he's in this hospital bed at home. I'm like, scoot over and we're going to do a budget for me. And I am going to figure out how long it's going to take me to save up six months of living expenses. And I'm quitting my job and I am going to figure out what I really want to do with my life. Because one part of my story is that I, I was really good at what I did and I always liked the people I worked with but I was never very excited about what I did, but I had no idea what else I wanted to do. So again, like a million people, I kept moving along and moving up. And I felt very strongly if I knew what I would do, if I wanted to do, I would do it. And this moment was, it's time to figure that out. Yeah. And so what a, I mean, what a tragic, but, but amazing gift, right. That uh, in order to facilitate you having a major change in your life, right. Which was really sort of, um, Paul's wisdom, right? And probably not even, he did probably didn't even mean to be imparting wisdom, but it was more just the moment of recognizing where he was. So again, it's that, it's that pause and it's not, I mean, that was way more than a whisper, right? That was, that was an incredibly painful time of your life watching a friend die. And, and some people that would be it. I, 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 helped my friend in his last moments and, and, and it was sad and they move on for you. You, you took that opportunity to sort of pause, consider your own life, consider your own choices and to sort of proactively kind of take, take charge of what was going to come next. Yeah. And that moment just literally changed everything about my life. You know, I, it, it started with the career change, but it, that had a domino effect that literally everything about my life today, I can trace back to that moment. Yeah. It's just extraordinary. It's really interesting how, when you take that time to not only pay attention in the moment and then change direction or choose a different path or, or see, you know, be more open to what shows up for you, but also upon reflection. Right. And so when I look back at my time as well, right? Like I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is how we ended up meeting. And again, we talked about in, in our very first podcast, just the randomness of, you know, a, a mutual friend of ours brought you in to speak. We ended up connecting and, and being good friends and, and doing some work together. And then when I think about for me, one of the next main turning points, and I think maybe for both of us was really joining our yoga teacher training. And I think we both did it just because we kind of liked yoga and we really liked the yoga teacher. We thought the yoga studio was kind of cool. Neither one of us thought we'd ever actually teach yoga. We just thought we'd go deeper. But I think about so many of the lessons that we learned, both intentional and maybe somewhat unintentional as well. And the opportunity it gave us to slow down a little bit, to look at the world in a little bit of a different way, to welcome in even the, the pain and the grief that comes in all lives at times, and to use all of that as sort of a foundation for learning and growth. 
Yeah, for for absolute sure. I think about with all of these things where the common denominator on all of these experiences are, again, it's that slow, sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's quick, but it's this becoming more aware of how do I want to be moving through my life? How do I want to be, how do I just want to be in life? And what's really important to me? And that doesn't mean that the decisions are easy or the choices are easy. Sometimes the choices are obvious and not that hard. Sometimes the choices are propelled by these giant wake-up moments and they're fueled by either I can't do this anymore or I'm unwilling to do this anymore. Sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it's really good stuff pops up. But I think the common denominator is around this really cultivating the ability to pay attention. I think that's right. So I'm probably going to get this quote wrong, but John Kabat-Zinn talks about meditation is being focused in the moment and on purpose, right? And I think that, and I probably got that quote wrong, but something similar to that. But, you know, sometimes it is that just noticing in the moment and sometimes a tool can actually be quieter moments of reflection. And, And for some people that might be prayer, for some people that might be meditation, I have found and I, journaling to be a really effective tool. I know you are already a good journaler, but that was one of the habits I picked up in, in our yoga teacher training course. And I, I think that that is a beautiful way to, to be able to notice and, and reflect because sometimes in the moment, it just seems like a daily momentary thing, but you've kept a journal for years. Isn't that right? I have. I, I believe I started this really consistent journaling practice in like 2002, Maybe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a long time. I was a sporadic journaler before that, but I noticed, and for some reason I still have all my old journals. I noticed I pretty much only journaled when there was some angst, angst <laughs> type stuff going on. Right. And, um, and yeah, but this, this consistent journaling practice is, has been, yeah, over, I guess, 18 years. Yeah. And so what a, what an amazing way to sort of track your journey and your life. And, you know, I, I want to encourage folks that are listening, if, if any of this is sort of piquing your interest, I mean, there's a, there's a couple big points that I, we've tried to make throughout our discussion. And, and one is really around, you know, Sherry really articulated this beautifully around just noticing and getting curious. And why is this happening? You know, one of the tricks I use for myself is if I am in a frustrated place or if there is a lot of traffic or somebody's cut me off. I just make up a little story in my head and I say something to myself, like maybe he's on his way. He's rushing to the hospital because his wife just went into labor or maybe she's having a bad day and something happened at home or, you know, whatever. And while it seems trite and silly, it kind of takes the edge off of whatever is happening, but it's that habit of pausing as opposed to just kind of letting the emotion sort of take over. It's a, it's a moment of reflection and whether it's, truly momentary or more substantive, such as your journaling, my, my somewhat journaling, not, I don't think I'm as consistent as you are. Um, I mean, that's, that's a huge help. So our, our suggestion for folks is to slow down, take that opportunity to notice, get a little curious, maybe start a journaling practice. Are there others you can think of in terms of tips and, and tools for folks? Something I have worked with for about, I want to say about 
12 years now, I use it with my clients, but I started this practice for myself, is one of the things that can be really helpful when you're, it can be when you're navigating a difficult part of your journey, or it can be when you are just wanting to make some shifts for yourself is, I call it a choose to believe statement. And it becomes a little mantra that you say it out loud every day or you write it every day. And again, it keeps that awareness really high. So the very first one I started with was around wanting to have my journey be a little less rattled, right? I found I could get rattled pretty easily. And so my first choose to believe statement was today I choose to believe that I'm on a wonderful hike filled with interesting opportunities for learning and growth. And I picked that because I love to hike And it doesn't matter whether it's a hike I'm going to want to do again or a hike I'm just like, never again, right? And what what that has done for me is is playing with those kinds of statements is it really helps you keep your antenna up. That's right. That's awesome. It's just another way of staying present to what's happening and staying in this place of choice. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I think another great tool is around perspective shifting that we've talked about a little bit in in our session today. And I am going to call on you again, Sherry, because I love one of your perspectives. I know you're, you're not a huge fan of networking. So can you talk about how your perspective has shifted with what networking is all about? So the big perspective shift for me was changing from a verb of networking to a noun of network, because I, yeah, you're right. I was one of these people who was like, Ugh, I do not like networking, but that's because to me that had, and I made this up obviously, right? It's perspectives. We make them up for me that just, that felt superficial and I am kind of the opposite of superficial. i tend to run a little intense, but what I really love is connecting with people And so when I shifted my perspective to, it's all about building a really awesome network, all of a sudden, I love that. Yeah. Right. Like that is, that is all about connection and I am all about connection. Yeah. But turn it into a verb and it leaves me cold. Right. Right. And so it's just to say that the action is not different. You still might be walking into a room and meeting a bunch of people you don't know, but you've chosen to move that from Ugh, I have to go do this thing to, can I meet some interesting people? And I've even heard you say, Sherry, and I love this perspective that you hold. Can I help somebody today as well? Right. So as opposed to you think of networking sometimes as let me get something from somebody or let me sell somebody something, but I love how you really approach it as, is there somebody here that's really interesting or is there somebody I could help? And I just, I think that's so beautiful and a very, very nice example of how we can shift perspectives. Right. And our perspective is so much a part. In fact, our perspective is a huge part of our journey. You know, it's this idea that our perspective creates our experiences, not vice versa. That's exactly right. And so, you know, when I first moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, first of all, I couldn't find it on a map, to be perfectly honest. And the very first time I moved there, I really thought, what is this hick town and where have I landed? And frankly, I had, did not have a great attitude, did not make a lot of friends, didn't enjoy it and kind of aligned myself to get out of there as quickly as I could. I was working for a big company at the time and they had a, they had a mini headquarters in Raleigh and a much bigger headquarters up in New York. And, and I, lo and behold, I got that opportunity. What was interesting is I met a guy right before I left to, to head up North. And then he and I started dating. And then when I, eventually moved back to Raleigh to be with this guy. 
all of a sudden Raleigh seemed like a really cool place. And P.S., it is a really cool place, but it was nothing about Raleigh had changed. It was fully my perspective. I now wanted to be there. I now chose to make it my home. And because nothing about Raleigh had necessarily changed, it was all me. Such a good reminder back to your Marine that we started with. It's all about ourselves and what we bring each time into each and every interaction. It's so true. Just uh, one last thought that it's just interesting timing is I've been going through this massive box of photos that I've had forever. I mean, it goes back like, well, let's just say it's all filled with film. And it's been a really long time since I've had a roll of film developed. And then around the time that I was listening to that tape in my car. (laughs) Exactly. And I found, I found a bunch of photos from a three-week trip I took to France, one of which was with my friend Paul, who I mentioned earlier. And it was, a, it was a very different trip than I would normally take. We rented a car. We had a loose itinerary. And as I was going through the photos, it was this fabulous metaphor for this idea of our lives as journeys is mm-hmm. there were so many, there was so much about that trip that we couldn't have predicted. And there were some things that were exactly as we expected, but there were so many things that we just couldn't have, have predicted. Much of the trip was awesome. We had a few tense moments. We had a day where we couldn't find a hotel and we were ready to claw each other's eyes out. We were starving. We were tired. We had an experience of driving into a bank of fog in the French Alps. And we literally, we truly thought we were going to die. Wow. And we, we had amazing meals. We, we just, there was so much about it that we just could never have predicted in advance. And I think that's just such a beautiful metaphor for our journeys through life is some things play out exactly as you expect. Most things are different than you expect. And this idea of just knowing, yeah, when it's great, enjoy it. Because like wallow in it, enjoy it still look for things to learn in it. And when it's rocky, because our journeys are never going to be a straight line, right? When it's rocky, know that there's something there for you as well. For sure. And and if I, if I think back to the movie, right? So she missed the, the train in the first scenario and she made the train in the second. And it really reminds me that, you know, often we are at the intersection of two roads and sometimes the choice is made for us. The door closes or the door stays open. And sometimes we get to choose and neither path is right or wrong. We just have that opportunity. And it sort of reminds me of that Robert Frost poem, The Road Less Traveled. And just a couple lines from it say, two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. And I think that really describes exactly what we're talking about. We really encourage you to pay attention to the signs that you're getting on a regular basis, to stay awake to big signs, little signs, to reflect a little bit, to make active choices. All of these things are completely within our power. So we really appreciate you joining us today. Please join us next time as we continue to explore the perfectly imperfect journey. 